Hi, everybody. Welcome to AUHSD Future Talks. I am your host, Superintendent Michael Matsuda. And Future Talks has been a podcast simultaneous uh, with our uh, video and YouTube channel. And, and we're having just amazing, amazing guests all talking about your future, our students' future, this Generation Z. And I know there's a lot of uh, anxiety about it because of the not only because of COVID, but because of this uh, recession that we're entering, especially for young people. So AUHSD has been focused on preparing young people for the world of work beyond K-12, K-16. So um, today I'm really, really honored to have someone who's uh, whose whole life has been dedicated to education and fortunately who is now for the past uh, three terms, six years, been our local assemblywoman, Sharon Quirk Silva of the 65th district. And I had mentioned that she is an educator, a teacher. So she comes from uh, working with young people and uh, just has a, tr- you know, a tremendous lived experience advocating for young people as well as all the people in her 65th districts, which includes a big part of Anaheim, Buena Park, Cypress, Fullerton, and parts of Garden Grove. So, um, and, and someone who's been in our neighborhood for just about all her lifetime, then uh, went to community college at Fullerton College and transferred to UCLA and then uh, began her teaching career. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce Assemblywoman Sharon Quirk Silva. Sharon, welcome to Future Talks. Good morning. I am really excited that uh, I have been invited to speak to all of uh, the those young people that we know uh, are going to contribute so much to our communities, not only now, but in the future. So thank you for having me. Sharon, so let's take a few moments just uh, where you can uh, share a little bit about your life and, you know, how do you how did you end up uh, serving in leadership and uh, becoming an elected official, but moving from teaching to becoming an elected official? So tell us a little bit about who you are and what are some of the things that are your drivers personally? Well, I grew up in a family of 10, right, in the city of Fullerton, which we would call the south side of Fullerton. Many of the families in my community not only did did not look to go into college, but really uh, their parents hadn't gone to college themselves. So uh, my mother, uh, that I think uh, is my hero, she pushed us very much to go into sports. And for me, that was swimming. And think about almost 40 years ago, a young Latina in a Fullerton Southside neighborhood swimming on a not only junior high, but high school and college team. That was very rare. But that, in fact, uh, really set forth the path of discipline. As we know, whether it's uh, sports or uh, clubs that you're involved uh, with, whether it's band or uh, community service, all of these activities that you choose to do in high school really set the groundwork uh, groundwork for what you're going to do in the future. And it, that discipline of getting up at five in the morning uh, and practices after school made a huge difference. But the biggest thing was that I wasn't a good swimmer. I lost mm. almost every race. Mm. And uh, that failing, and there is a quote called failure way to success, I think has a huge influence. We have to be prepared to try things, not be good at them, but stick to them. Wow. So 
um, let's talk a little bit about this issue of uh, this gene that we're trying to build uh, into kids, you know, called resilience, the ability to get up from your failures. Because I, I know that as coming from a, a family of poverty, a lot of challenges, a Latino family, uh, being a woman too, and, um, and developing those skills of resilience and then choosing a field like uh, teaching. And I know that you taught in an area in, at South Fullerton that is very much like our, our Anaheim Union High School District, a lot of poverty, a lot of first generation kids. So um, what was what was your calling? I mean, why did you become decide to become a teacher after, quote, all these failures in in swimming and in athletics? Well, I think from the time I was very young, again, when we look at large families, uh, large Latino families, there many of our families, and it isn't an ethnicity issue, but um, can be faced with not only trauma. Uh, I dealt with a father who was an alcoholic, and I think that we don't always know how to define that, but now more and more we're to understand about how trauma can really affect not only your health, but certainly your pathway to success. So that word resiliency really is a powerful word because what it means is how do you react in the face of trauma? And we know that uh, not everybody has the same success. I think what was instilled with, for me, again, I go back to sports, but I also go back to just the simple hard work. And that hard work doesn't matter if you're going to go straight into a four-year uh, school. It doesn't matter if you're going to go off to try to even start your own business at a young age of 18, 19, 20. But what does matter is how you build relationships with people you're working with, how you respond in the face of adversity. And we can say the pandemic, COVID-19, uh, for all of us is definitely uh, uh, something that we have to uh, endure. And how we react and respond during this time in crisis is really going to, uh, again, carve a pathway to what uh, opportunities we possess. So uh, going into teaching was a very common profession at that time. And for women, mostly uh, what we were uh, encouraged to look into was teaching or nursing. Uh, and again, at that time that I was going to college in the very uh, early uh, mid 80s, and I graduated in 1981. So go back way back. Uh, there were there were not the opportunities as far as technology to explore other countries, other things like that. So I took a traditional path, but it certainly was one that I loved because the creativity that was involved with uh, teaching. So, Sharon, you touched upon, I think, a common uh, challenge for many of us, especially in the COVID-19. A lot of uh, this is going to be a generation touched by trauma. Right. And I think that in your live life, having uh, acknowledged and dealt with your own personal trauma in your family has created more empathy because you're known as a leader uh, who's very empathic uh, and, and uh, about some of the issues facing us, like homelessness, for example. I know that you've done a lot of work in the legislature about advocating for homelessness. And I think that many of our kids who are struggling with trauma, uh, rather than running away from it, acknowledging it. So um, in a way that kind of um, builds more resiliency. Can you talk about that a little bit? 
and how that um, has led to your leadership in areas of like homelessness and advocacy for small businesses and uh, other areas that you've been very successful with. Yes, I think that uh, whatever one is going through with, through at any time, one way to look towards getting help is by asking for help. That is not an easy thing to do because if you are sharing personal stories, and as was mentioned, uh, not only childhood trauma, but as I've grown up with 10 siblings, I've seen them face uh, severe trauma. And this trauma has led to very, very uh, poor outcomes. For example, two years ago, my brother, um, Billy, died. I still have a hard time talking about it, but <laughs> he died. He was a, dealing with homelessness himself, right? And um, this is why this is very, very close to your heart. Um, and and how could, you know, as... as those and of us then we do have we have we have systems in place, but it's our job as educators and elected officials to make those connections. And so if there's any of you struggling out there, we can help. And it, it does mean you stepping out. And it does mean asking, but we'll help. Sorry. No, I, I, it, there's a, a lot of emotions uh, tied to trauma, Sharon, and that's why so many of us, you, you know, for you to share your vulnerability with our audience and, and, and time and again, that ability to share your vulnerability builds trust in our leaders. Because right now we look to leaders like yourself who are willing to put it all out there uh, with their own lived experience and um, and that builds trust. And I really commend you for being vulnerable with our audience and with our young people. Hey, so I, many feel isolated. They feel isolated in their trauma. Thank you. I, I you know, I don't I sometimes it's, it is you don't talk about things that are so personal and it is hard to talk about it. But what I have learned as an educator and as as a an advocator is there are resources. They're not easy to come by. They're not easy to navigate alone. And that is why in many ways we lose between 30 and 40 people a month in Orange County who are dying on our streets. And that doesn't even count now what we're going to see related to the pandemic and evictions and and uh, people losing their jobs, thousands and thousands. Of so let's, let's, let's talk about that a little bit in terms of a lot of people are concerned about um, the, the COVID-19 and it's, it's laid bare a lot of inequities in society. Um, and now we have, uh, you know, a light at the end of the tunnel, the vaccine that's coming and there's going to be a lot of uh, challenges, um, you know, Coming from Sacramento, um, can you give our audience a sense of how you see um, this logistically rolling out? And so we can start sharing uh, some of the information that you know with our audience about the vaccine. Uh, yes, and related to COVID, 
as a whole. Number one, we know that it's hit our 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 community, your community, uh, devastating. In Anaheim, parts of Anaheim, the the COVID cases are very high. So number one, again, we have to get tested. And we have to, if you are having a hard time finding a place, not understanding uh, there are free testing sites, we can help navigate with that. We will make sure we put our uh, uh, information online here. Second, the protocols, wearing a mask. We have to wear a mask. It's one of the single safest things we can do. My sister works in an emergency department at Kaiser and becomes almost furious when she sees people not wearing a mask because she says you simply would not not wear a mask if you see what she sees every single day, which is death. Uh, But as far as being optimistic, yes, we are right now. I was on a call yesterday with the governor's team related to the vaccine. It is here. It's moving forward. Matter of fact, the first, uh, if you want to say cargo, was brought in yesterday. Uh, This requires many, many safety nets, like how you're going to keep these vaccines uh, at the right temperature. So all of that will be vetted out. But then the next step would be who gets the vaccine and how fast can this vaccine be uh, administered? So that is going to be vetted out. But of course, public safety, people who are most vulnerable, over 65, people with chronic conditions, they would be in line. But we are going to be fighting hard and working hard to say we need our frontline workers out there, whether it's our farm workers, whether it's our food workers, whether it's uh, our teachers who are uh, face-to-face. Uh, some districts are have returned to teaching completely. Others haven't. But those that are in contact, we need them to make sure that if there is a line, they're ahead of the line because they are serving our community. Yeah. So uh, in terms of the so it's 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 heartening to know that the first uh, batch has uh, reached, you know, Orange County. And as you mentioned, there's going to be released in phases. And there are a lot of logistical issues like storing it. I know it's got to be in these special freezers. Plus, you have to you have to take a, a booster. Right. It's not just one shot. It's two shots. And then, of course, the issue of who 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 gets uh, prioritized. So um, in the coming months, I'm sure we're going to hear more, but um, hopefully there's also going to be resources to help implement that. Is there anything coming from the state or can you give us, uh, uh, because I know as a superintendent, you know, that's, we're always concerned about how we're going to resource these, uh, the vaccinations. There, yes, we are working on a plan to make sure again uh, that through the state, the funding goes to the health departments and the counties, and that we're aggressive about it. Again, going back just to COVID testing, there has been funding out there, but when COVID testing is put out, so say, for example, in Santa Ana or Anaheim, and there's an expectation that maybe 500 people will line up, the numbers have been far less. Now with the spike and with the closure, we may see much more, but the the real disconnect right now is the trust in should I take a vaccine vaccine 
Uh, is it worth getting tested? Does the test really make a difference? All of these things. And that really comes from community and it comes from the, a mistrust in the community. So if I could say anything to your educators out there, to the students watching, is please uh, make your decisions based on science, make your decisions based on safety and do everything you can to protect your family and that means your friends as well, because if you're tested, but then they aren't, all of those things I know are devastating as far as the economy goes and jobs that are lost. But we cannot just say there's nothing we can do and some people are going to die. We have to be diligent and take these steps uh, to somehow be optimistic for the future. Yeah, that's a huge message um, about the trust in our um, science and our um, healthcare people to ensure the safety through this vaccine, because we do need to get this to the point of herd immunity. Right. And, and um, but at some point, this thing's going to be over and it's going to leave uh, a situation of uh, unemployment, especially for our young people. And they're really concerned about that. <clears throat> I know that you yourself have been a, uh, have benefited from going to the community colleges. And uh, a lot of young people are now looking at, at community colleges as really a first choice. It used to be a second choice, now it's a first choice. So, and, and you've authored or co-authored a, a bill about uh, the community college promise. Let's just, in the few minutes that we have left, let's talk about this and how important the community college option is right now to young people. and. Um, and from your level, what, what, uh, how, I, I mean, let's just talk about it. Uh, that well, number, num number one, uh, community college, higher education is extremely important for certain pathways. And we haven't completely as a society uh, made enough changes to say, well, if I want to be a doctor, then I just can uh, do it an alternative way. You have to have uh, the professional license and medical degree. Same thing with teaching. Well, I don't want to take on the debt and, and, and incur five years of college, but I still want to be a teacher. You have to have a valid teaching credential. So we haven't made that shift. But there are more and more alternative ways to, I think, that we're seeing for uh, young people to make decisions about their future. So, for example, certificate programs. I know Cypress College has, uh, through their feeder school, Buena Park, an automotive program. That automotive program feeds into Cypress, where you get a two-year certificate. And those students are being recruited to out of the program to fix Teslas, all of these high-end type of cars, some of them uh, very quickly uh, getting well over 50000 Now, that doesn't mean we're saying that that's an uh, alternative. You may not want that alternative, but there's pathways that um, there is a lot of job need. Uh, secondly, uh, I think that it is being creative I know that uh, you have worked personally on uh, these programs that could, uh, in fact, uh, you're taking college credit while you're a high school, uh, and we've seen those bridge programs. A bill that I'm going to be moving forward this year is um, a three-year high school program, and that would not be a program that says, 
oh, you've had issues, so you're going to go to an alternative school or you're going to have a reduced program. It would be a highly academic program, but that you could complete it in three years. Now, that came out of my own son, who is uh, 24, who graduated in three years. As a parent, I really didn't know that that was even possible. And when you look into it just uh, on your own, it'll say, oh, sure, you could graduate. You could get a GED. Or, but that is not equivalent to a high school diploma diploma. So really looking at are there ways for students to do things in a more timely manner? One of the uh, pieces of data information that has come from the community colleges is that you would think with the pandemic, their enrollment numbers would be higher, but they're in fact lower. And one of the reasons we're seeing is the most vulnerable families, the students are having to choose between going to college and working because for some of their parents or many of their parents, they've lost jobs. And so now that 18 and 19 year old who might've been a full-time college student is having to supplement uh, the income to keep themselves in a home. So these are all uh, huge impacts for this age group and for across the board. And uh, so we are gonna have to be much more creative and much more, I think, flexible as we look towards uh, not only jobs, entry-level jobs, but also a higher education. Absolutely. You know, in the one or two minutes we have left, Sharon, I've always asked our guests to uh, speak directly to our young people. And since you started uh, this conversation about uh, that young Sharon Quirk, uh, who was at Fullerton High School on the swim team, who had to get herself up in every race and not and and, and feel sometimes like a failure because I'm sure and you touched upon the young kids now that many of them are n- maybe not able to go to college because of the pandemic and because of the economic situation and feeling pretty isolated and alone and like maybe they're failing. Um, can you sh- sh- talk directly to them and about their how what they can do um, about their lives now and moving forward? Well, I think first is to acknowledge that there is a breakdown. And, and what a breakdown means is that things aren't happening according to what the plan might have been. And when you acknowledge that, I think it gives you the freedom to start to say, okay, then what is next? But then there's the self-care part, which is it is definitely factual that not just uh, young adults, but high schoolers, even younger and adults are really starting to become very depressed. They're starting to feel uh, loss of hope. Uh, Things aren't going to work out. And so if that means uh, picking up a phone again, if that means uh, setting up a Zoom with some friends, and even if it does mean getting outside with a group under six, and taking a walk on trails, there's there's uh, many, many miles in Orange County, a loop of, of trails that, but those type of things do self-care. Uh, and then again, putting on that artistic creative uh, hat, which is whether it's journaling or these type of things to really get those feelings out. But then looking at how can I create a pathway, maybe even that no one else has design. So for example, I have two young men who are high school football players 
that are pretty much devastated about their season ending. Uh, and yet uh, they want to stay active. So they've actually started a small um, uh, concrete business. And they're in front of our house, uh, kind of adding a little additional space so we could park a, another car as my son has moved in. But they had made it into a business and they're they're very busy. So again, if not everybody has that um kind of opportunity, but they're creating an opportunity. Their mother uh, has struggled quite a bit. They, uh, It's just the three of them. So both of them, they're twin brothers. They're already uh, trying to figure out how, what they can do in lieu of playing football as a scholarship that they were hoping for. But I also wish you the best because it isn't easy. It's very easy uh, to, to kind of not feel like you have that control or even that power. So please, there are people out there, whether it's uh, for housing, whether it's for food um, distributions, whether it's uh, even for mental health help, please call our office. We know many of these organizations and we want to help. Wow. So uh, Assemblywoman Sharon Cork Silva, the 65th uh, State Assembly. We're so proud and honored that you represent us. Uh, you are a leader of integrity, a leader of uh, trust, and someone who um, you know looks like us and has a lived life so like so many of our, our young people. So thank you again on, on behalf of our thirty thousand students and their parents and um, all of the constituents that love and support you. Thank you so much. And we look forward to having you again. Thank you. Thank you. Hugs.